I'm Liam Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Bonjour, hola and falcha to this first episode of The Motivated Classroom podcast. So falcha is the Irish word for welcome, which you will hear many times if you go to Ireland. Not to be confused with the word slauncha, which means health, or it's also the word we use for cheers if you happen to frequent a bar when in Ireland. Uh, So a little bit of Irish to get us started. And we'll be talking mainly about things like education, languages, comprehensible input, Lincoln research to practice. And uh, what many of you highlighted in the pre-podcast form that I sent out, uh, zero prep activities to increase engagement. But most of all, I suppose the clue is in the name. I'll be going on about what I feel is absolutely key in education, motivation. Let's get straight into it then. What is motivation and how do we do it? So just to get started, I want you to think about a student that you've had. That student who, no matter what you did and how hard you tried, you just couldn't bring them to the level that you felt they had the potential for. That student who you thought that if they just did a little bit more work themselves, they could really be fluent speakers, they could even be writers, they could do all these amazing things. But all the things you said, all the support you gave them, they just didn't reach that level of their potential that you felt they could. If you're anything like me, I'm sure you have many of those students who are, I suppose you could say they frustrate us because we see an amazing potential in them, but they don't actually get there. So think of one of those students now that sticks out in your head. And now I want you to think about those other students who did the exact opposite, who went way above and beyond where you ever thought they were going to achieve. They completely exceeded and surpassed your expectations. They went from maybe being what you might consider a middle of the road average student to just being fantastic and wonderful and speaking the language so well and writing with great accuracy. And you just felt this great sense of pride in what they were able to do. So hopefully you've got two students in mind there. And for me, The difference between student A, that student who didn't reach their potential, and student B, who completely surpassed expectations, is motivation. Now, how were we able to motivate student B so much, but not student A? And I guess if you're like me, that's something that keeps you awake at night and you wonder, why are they not doing these things that I want them to do? And how is it happening that this other student's doing so well? And it does come down to intrinsic motivation. In order for us to learn to try and have all of those student Bs, we need to learn about how to motivate students and what is motivation. So when we talk about language learner motivation, it's often known as L2 motivation. And in language learning theory, that that kind of dominant framework has been this thing called the L2 motivational self-system. Bit of a mouthful. It's from a guy called Zoltan Dornay. He'd be a very well-known researcher in the field of motivation and particularly in in L2 motivation. So this framework kind of conceptualises motivation through a combination of internal things, which they call the ideal L2 self, and then what they call the ought to self. And then they add on a bit called the external L2 learning experience. So as you can see, it's fairly heavy stuff. You know, it's taken me a while to get my head around this when I first started reading it. Essentially, the ideal L2 self is your future representation of yourself as a proficient user of that second language or L2. 
And like if you're a student with strong ideal L2 self construct, that would kind of you would picture yourself in years to come as a fluent speaker, living and working in that language. Whereas the ought to self refers to the qualities that and a person might feel they should possess in order to not have negative consequences. So let's say you're living in a French speaking country. You may feel like you ought to speak French so that you can interact more easily and be accepted in your community. So that's how they kind of um, separate those two things. So when I started looking into this a bit more, a lot of the related research is about these internal traits of the learner. And there's much less about the L2 or foreign language learning experience aspect of the system, which for me, I was really interested in because I w- I'm a teacher and I wanted to see what do I have control over in the language classroom and um, that I can impact to improve motivation. And interestingly, actually, there's much research out there that for secondary school learners, and I'm a secondary school or high school, middle school teacher, the ideal L2 self, it actually plays a much smaller role in motivating students than classroom related factors. So it comes back to that. It's the teacher and what they do. So that's the really important stuff. And and this was making much more sense to me. There's also research there from a guy called Olga Baldwin, um, who does research in Japan, particularly about younger learners of languages, showing that motivating tasks and the overall classroom environment for learning foreign languages are much more significant than any prior internal motivations we have when we arrived at that at that classroom. And the same would be the case in much research for adults and older learners, too. So these kind of things just underscored for me that the real importance of motivational teaching practices or what are known in the research as motivational strategies. Now, a guy called Lam who does uh, a guy called Lam. (laughs) His name is Martin Lam. Uh, Lam is his second name. He's done meta-analysis of uh, large motivational studies and he kind of outlines these motivational strategies as techniques or approaches deployed by teachers to deliberately enhance learner motivation. And now I know you're listening going, yes, that's what I want to hear about. What do I do in my classroom to make sure there's much more motivation? How do I do it? And we will get to this. I'm actually working on a research paper right now with a guy called William Davis, all about this, essentially bringing together the research and what are the strategies, the methods, the approaches in the language classroom that really boost motivation. Um, So we we will get there, I promise. So as I went into my first meeting with my supervisor for my thesis of my my doctorate in education, I knew I wanted to do something in motivation. And up until now, all I had read about was this L2 motivational self-system. But it just didn't fit with me. I I found it convoluted, confusing. And I, I felt like the external traits and the external aspect of language learning was really important. The classroom, the teacher, what was happening in there. So I went in chatting to my supervisor. Uh, his name's Dr. Sam Carr in the University of Bath. And he's done a lot of research and studies in psychology. I started to explain to him that I had recently been teaching with this method called TPRS, which many of you are familiar with, which is teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. And I was just 
blown away and amazed at how motivated and engaged the students were when we were doing this. And I'm not talking now just the amazing students who are really enthusiastic and love all types of learning, even the grammar tables and the fill the gap exercises. They love it. They love the linguistics, all the things we love as language teachers. I'm talking every student. Everyone was so into it, so engaged, listening, learning. And I didn't really understand why. So I'd been, I had received training on this TPRS and it essentially means you co-create a story with your students using high frequency structures of the language. But I didn't really understand why it was so motivating and so uh, engaging. I thought, is it just because it's different? Is it just because it's new? Is it just because we're not using the textbook? And I started to tell Sam about this and immediately he kind of said to me, this sounds exactly like a perfect fit of self-determination theory. Go off and have a read about that. And once I started looking up self-determination theory, I immediately had that light bulb click moment. This is it. This makes perfect sense. I understand now how motivation works. So before I go into more detail about that, I want you to do me a favour and just think back to when you were a student in the classroom. Maybe that's very recent. Maybe you're currently a student and you're listening to this podcast. Think about a time when you were loving learning. Uh, Maybe it's not essentially a time. Think about a class, a subject, uh, an activity that you really were enthusiastic about, that you really loved. Okay, so you've got that subject or class in your brain that you can remember clearly even all these years later because you were massively interested and engaged by what was going on. Now, if you ask yourself the question, was it just the teacher? Was it just the activities? Or was there something more? Well, if I'm right, you, you probably felt like you had a, a sense of initiative and, and ownership of your own actions. You felt interest and, and value in the things that you were learning uh, rather than being externally controlled or, or, or forced into doing things in that class or for that subject uh, for rewards or, or to avoid punishment. You probably felt good at it. Like you were able to do it. You, you, you understood what was going on. You could follow. You felt quite, quite able for it. And more than likely, you had a good relationship with the teacher and potentially with many of your classmates. That is the key to intrinsic motivation, autonomy, competence and relatedness. These are the three basic psychological needs that we need to have satisfied in order to be intrinsically motivated, according to self-determination theory. Now, this theory has been around for 20 years and there is a huge amount of robust research in self-determination theory. It's enormous. There's been research done on this to do with disabilities, impairments, obviously education, language learning, information literacy, music, elderly, healthcare, coaching, parenting, politics, business. Honestly, I encourage you, just have a look at selfdeterminationtheory.org, click on research and you just see the hundreds, thousands of empirical research that's been done around this self-determination theory and what it means. Essentially, self-determination theory is all about intrinsic motivation. Now, intrinsic motivation differs from extrinsic motivation. When we do something for intrinsic motivation, you do it out of pure sense of interest, enjoyment, love, simply because you like doing it. 
extrinsic motivation, we do all sorts of things in life for extrinsic motivation, and it's usually for rewards uh, or to avoid punishments. So if we think about the language classroom, for example, extrinsically motivated students might be working hard at your subject so that their parents think that they're doing really well and they get a prize from their parents or simply just acknowledgement from their parents. Or they may be trying to avoid getting into trouble. If you get this grade, then, you know, you can go and do this thing this weekend. These are all extrinsic rewards. And of course, they have a place. And yes, they can motivate. But intrinsic motivation, when we do something out of love and interest, enjoyment, excitement, enthusiasm, These are actually the things that, according to the researchers who came up with self-determination theory, really, these are probably likely for the preponderance of human learning across your lifespan, as opposed to externally mandated learning and instruction. Yes, in school, we have externally mandated instruction. But as you go on through life, you pick and choose what things you want to learn. Do you want to learn yoga? Do you want to learn how to play a certain sport? Or do you want to be better at reading or improve your language skills? These are you do these out of interest and enthusiasm. When I started looking into this self-determination theory, I remember really, really clearly this research paper by uh, Rigby and Ryan in 2011 about video games. And it really spoke to me and it explained exactly how motivation works. So what they looked at was why are video games so unbelievably motivating for so many people, children and adults? What is it about them? So just stop and think about it for a second. Autonomy, competence and relatedness, they are the keys of intrinsic motivation. Autonomy. In a computer game, you have a remote control in your hand and you are directing the person or the car, whatever it is, all around that level. Competence. As you finish a level, you get gold coins or rings or you get level ups or you get new powers or whatever it may be. So you feel like you are doing it, you're completing the levels. Relatedness. You have an immediate community of gamers that you can speak to and talk to and engage with. And of course, now with the online gaming community, it's enormous, the relatedness you have. So video games hit those three needs really, really hard. They hit autonomy, competence and relatedness, and therefore they are hugely motivating. Now, think about yourself. Think about an activity that you engage in out of pure interest and enjoyment and satisfaction, something you love to do and that you would happily do without anybody else forcing you to do it. And if you think about it, you probably have an internal interest and you see it as value. So even if even if it's something solitary like reading and you think, I love reading, I'm motivated by it. I, I do it out of interest and enjoyment. You, you, There's interest there and you see value in it of what you're doing. You're turning the page, you're deciding what you read, you're deciding how much you read. You have a large amount of autonomy in what you read. Competence. You get to the end of a book, it feels good. It feels like you've done something, you've achieved something and you've, you've made a connection to characters and you go and talk to other people about the book, there's your relatedness. So if you think about something that you really do and enjoy, it normally hits autonomy, competence and relatedness. When I started looking into this uh, a little bit more about self-determination theory and how it worked, I was fascinated really about a number of things. One is that it, it comes from psychology. So it's about the inner workings of every single human. And they started off by arguing that as humans, we all have these 
needs that must be satisfied in order to feel intrinsically motivated across cultures, across ages, across backgrounds. And that has been empirically tested in research in huge amounts of different cultures and has been found that, yes, we do all have these same needs of autonomy, competence and relatedness. And if these needs are met, we are intrinsically motivated. Now, why is intrinsic motivation so important? Well, in education, there's been a large amount of studies and meta-analysis that show in loads of different countries that intrinsic motivation is consistently associated with higher performance, even when you control for baseline achievement. So if you can boost intrinsic motivation, you are helping all sorts of things, not just the achievement outcomes, but actually now there's a large amount of research that you're increasing well-being as well for the student or, or even for the teacher. When someone feels intrinsically motivated, they're happier, their sense of self is improved and they have more confidence in what they're doing. Now, despite all these findings about the importance of intrinsic motivation, although probably not very surprising, very disappointingly, We have all this research and all this information that tells us just how important intrinsic motivation is for all sorts of things, not just the achievement outcomes, the emotional stability, the feeling of being part of a group, all of these things. And we have this research from all over the world, different contexts across education, college, preschool, primary, secondary, everything. Even though we know all of this stuff, we can see through the research across multiple countries that intrinsic motivation actually tends to decline over school years, at least when we talk about school-related activities. Now, why is this the case? If we know intrinsic motivation is so important for achievement outcomes and all the other things I've mentioned, why does it decline? So for the researchers, Ryan and Desi, who who came up with um, self-determination theory, they say that this suggests that schools are not creating the need-supportive context that foster this inner resource of intrinsic motivation. We're just not doing it in schools. Now, that can come from the leadership. I'm sure many of you listening to this are going, well, how am I supposed to do this with also teaching the content and the curriculum? And I completely empathise. But the good news is there is ways to do it. There is ways to tweak what we do, to replan and rethink the way we do things, to put motivation at the heart of it, to plan with autonomy, competence and relatedness in mind. How do we do that? How do we go about creating lessons that have a focus on motivation rather than examination? What are the steps, the activities, the approaches, the strategies that we can put in place in every single class so that we're focusing so much more on the internal intrinsic motivation of the student rather than learning outcomes and exams and tests and these things? Well, to get started, at least, on how we think about doing that, in next week's episode, I'm going to talk about how I start every year with all my classes, all my students, all levels, how I go about setting up my expectations, but without doing that thing of giving them rules and lists and curriculum and this is what you must bring and this is what you have to do. Um, I, I, I tend to go about it a different way and I and I try to go about it thinking about motivation with a way to build relationships from day one making them feel like they're able to do it and they feel confident to participate in, in our classroom and giving them a sense of value and interest and enthusiasm, which is the, the autonomy piece. So next week, I'm going to talk about that the very first day and what I do with all of my classes in order to put motivation front and centre of everything I do. 
So I really hope you'll join me and uh, tune in, download again next week to, to hear about that. Following on from that and in the coming episodes, I'm going to go into a lot more detail about the constructs of autonomy, competence and relatedness within the language classroom and what are the specific strategies, approaches and methods we can use to boost each of these constructs. So I hope you'll, you'll join me for that as well. Thank you very much for joining me for this first episode of The Motivated Classroom. I hope you enjoyed it. We will end with some more Irish. In Irish, to say thank you, you say Gura Mahagat. Four words. Gura Mahagat. You know us, Irish. We like to use a lot more words instead of fewer words when we can. Hence why I've started a podcast. And then you can also say Slán Awalia, which I really like this phrase. Slán means goodbye. And Awalia means home. So it would translate for us as kind of safe home, but it translates as goodbye home. So, Gurmahagats, Agus Sláin Awalia. The Motivated Classroom Podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.